Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Welcome to Portico Church. As Pastor John Arreu said, uh, my name is Jason. It's my privilege to welcome you here and open the Word of God with you today. We are in a four-part series. We started last week called Big Decisions, um, learning the ordinary art of making extraordinary decisions. Um, hey, should you go back to school? Should you marry that person? Hey, was it wrong not to marry that person? Should you buy a dog? Should you change career? Yes, that's God's will for you. <laughs> should you change careers? Should you? How, most of these are just non-moral decisions. How do we do that? Like, we, we, we fall from either paralysis, I can't do anything because I don't know God's will, or I'm afraid to actually own the consequences of my decision, to just impulsiveness, this and that, and then that, that didn't work out, and then this didn't work out. So I'm going to go here, talk to that person. So how do we navigate this? It's a very simple thing, it seems like. So this is our goal for this series, that we want to learn how to have good judgment, how to make good decisions. So track with me on that. Last week we learned that um, before we even think about getting to the big decisions, putting so much weight on these extraordinary decisions that affect our life, um, we need to excel in the ordinary. We need to be effective in the minutia. I'm not talking about micromanaging. I mean the small things, the things you do every day. How do we walk to the glory of God in that? Um, this is not the career that God called me into early as a kid. Um, I used to fly for a living. And I remember my first job, um, and I remember my first flight in my first job. It was from San Francisco to Santa Barbara, and somebody had introduced me to this guy who had basically helped me get a job at this airline. And his name was Captain Marty McDermott. Good old Marty McDermott. Love that guy. You know, he, he drove like a convertible and had the Ray-Bans and all that. And so he helped me get the job, and he was also a training captain. So after the first, you know, three or four months of going to ground school in the simulator and learning all procedures, they actually stick you for revenue flight in an airplane with a training captain. So you learn on the run. Um, I know they don't tell you that when you buy a ticket, but it really does happen. So my first, it's safe, it's safe. So my first flight was San Francisco, Santa Barbara, and um, he he made me fly it. And it was great. You know, you, we learned procedures. It, it all worked out. And then um, we're coming into Santa Barbara, and it was a beautiful day. It was just a beautiful California. You can see 100 miles. It was gorgeous. So we come in over the Reagan Ranch at 10,000 feet, and Santa Barbara's right down there on the edge of the water, on the ocean. And they clear us for the visual approach, which means you're cleared to land, right? I had never done that in the simulator. And so I looked at him. He looked at me. I said, what am I supposed to do? And he takes off his glasses. He goes, are you a commercial pilot? I said, yeah. You went through training, right? I said, yeah. He goes, this airplane, that runway. <laughs> Puts his glasses on and slumps back in his seat <laughs> like that. Captain Marty McDermott. <laughs> I was confused. I was disoriented. I was actually irritated. He gave me more freedom than I was willing to handle. Probably felt I was more than I was ready to handle. Now, the funny thing is, he is the captain. He signs for the airplane. The flight, he's responsible for the safe and efficient travel. Yet, I was, I was flying the thing. And he made it very clear. It's all you. I'm not going to touch it. So, 
do what you need to do to get it down. Hey, should I put approach flaps in now? It's like, I don't know. I'm busy. <laughs> Land it. We got to go from here to Los Angeles. So get it on the ground, man. It was terrifying and intoxicating. Um, listen, making decisions and the freedom that God gives you to do that is less about making the perfect decision in every situation um, and really more about learning how to walk in the purpose that God gives all of us. Now, I knew what Marty's goal was. He wanted me to be a flight crew member. That was it. He wanted me to be a good pilot. So everything that he was doing was to that end. The freedom that he pushed on me that I wasn't ready to exercise was to that end. The fact that he let me make a really hard landing and sequence that whole approach on my own was because he wanted me to just really embrace the consequences of the thousand decisions it took to get this thing on the ground. He knew I'd been trained, but I just hadn't experienced that before. And so he let me experience it. It was kind of irritating, but it made me learn. So what if God wants you to glorify him in your life? Whether you're working as a librarian, whether you're a single mom, whether you're 15, whether you're 85. What if he wants you to experience glory? What if his purpose for your life is glory? He wants you to experience this glory in the face of Christ, much like Israel saw God at the foot of Sinai and was terrified. He wants you to feel that, receive his love through grace, and then walk out the process of exposing this glory to other people as you do life, as you work, as you go to church, as you talk to your neighbor. What if that's his purpose and the decisions that you make, this great freedom that he gives you is about learning how to walk in that? Because that's what he's doing. And we get so, so wrapped up on what we should do. Listen, God gives you the freedom to walk in wisdom. Somebody should say amen. Amen. All right. God gives you the freedom to walk in wisdom. And if you're like me on that sunny day in Santa Barbara, I'm like, that's great to know. I'm not ready for that. Listen, we, learned, we talked about this last week, but does God expect you to know his will for your future before you make a decision? It's a trick question. No. You never see that in the Bible. Now, there's times when he guides very directly, especially as we look at scripture, but those are so extraordinary. Many times he expects you to make the decision. Yes, he guides us. So we're going we're gonna to jump into this today. We're going to use Proverbs because it's so good at understanding how to execute wisdom. We'll be in Proverbs 16, 1 through 4, and a couple other verses in chapter 16. So wisdom is good. What is wisdom? Just before we even jump into the text, well, you are inundated with information. You have more information than you can handle in your pocket on your phone, and that's good. But it doesn't get you anywhere when it comes to what God wants for you. More information is really not what you need. You need wisdom. So uh, wisdom is many times learning how to apply God's moral law in the gray when there's no example. Well, I'm not ready for this. Do it. You're filled with my spirit. You've got my word. You've got my people. You're going to be fine. Make the decision, friend. Make the decision. 
Um, an example of wisdom would be that, like, information is this, knowing that tomato is a fruit. That's true. That's information. You can look it up on your phone if you want. But wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad because that would be gross. Right? So, so wisdom does matter. How you live does matter, and you will have consequences from that. So let's walk through this. Proverbs 16, I'm going to read a few of them, 1 through 4, and then um, 9 and 33. Listen to this closely. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work or actions to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In the end of chapter 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, oh, we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that's enough. So you have so graciously given us the treasure of your word. So we humbly ask that you would reveal its beauty and its power, that you would pour out the Spirit of God on us, that we might walk in belief, that you might make us new, Lord. So we give you this time and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So God is giving you the freedom right now to, or the, yeah, the freedom to walk in wisdom. That That's true. You have this freedom so walk in wisdom. So we're going to talk about how that can work out by using some of these psalms and trying to understand it better. Uh, we'll do this in three movements. Um, the first is this. You need to find freedom. You need to understand what this freedom is and how to walk in it. So you need to understand the nature of the freedom that God gives to you. And then you need to know how to apply the word. And you also need to know this, how to understand your own heart. It's impossible really to apply the word without understanding your heart and vice versa. So we'll walk through that. How how to find this freedom, um, how to apply the word of God, and how to understand our heart. Now, I'm going to walk through a checklist. I'm sorry, some of you people just died when I said that. But I have a checklist for making a decision. If you're like, dude, I don't do checklists. Well, okay, then there's a lot of big ideas in here you can hold on to. But if you're one of those per- these people that say, oh, I'd like to just write this down and know it, we're going to walk through a seven-step checklist on how to make some of these bigger decisions. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen. We're going to cover the first Verse 3 today as we walk through the text. So God gives you the freedom to walk in wisdom. First, what freedom? How do we find that freedom? How do we know that freedom? Well, the Bible does something that is just audacious. It gives us a picture of life that we don't see anywhere else. And here's what it's going to tell you without apology, without much explanation, without a lot of detail. Sometimes it's in, in, in scripture like we see it, and sometimes it's in narrative in scripture and stories. Um, God is completely sovereign, completely, over everything, including you, all of it. God is completely and absolutely sovereign, in control, over his created universe, period. Now, we, some people can get that, like, yeah, yeah, I get it. 
and you are free. You're so free, in fact, that you will experience the consequences of your decisions and God will be just and give to you according to those. You will experience the consequences of your decisions. That's how free you are. So which is it? Is God sovereign or am I free? Because in the Western mind, it can't be both. God can't be that sovereign and then my life has any meaning. But the Bible does not reconcile those. It says, oh yeah, God is completely sovereign and you are absolutely free. Now I'm not talking about moral freedom, right? We have inabilities. But you are free, meaning God will hold you to the consequences of your decisions. We have the freedom to make those decisions. Like, well, hey, wait, wait a minute. Who's flying the plane here? Is God flying and I'm just a passenger? And whatever happens is going to happen and what I do doesn't really matter? Or am I the captain of my future and God's just hanging back and watching me? Yeah. God is definitely sovereign and you're flying. All right. How does that work out? The plans of the heart belong to man. Those are yours. But every answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So we see this connection between your plans, your desires. It's good to plan. Proverbs even says that. What you want to do, what you're planning on doing, whether you want to do it or not, and God's purposes. There's this strange connection. So how are we to understand it? Well, here's how we reconcile, or here's what Proverbs is teaching us, is that yes, they are your plans. Your life in that regard belongs to you. But your decisions, your actions, your plans do not determine the outcome. God does that. God deter- Ultimately, God determines the outcome. It is not just an open, random future where whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. And it's not just a simply nihilistic, determinist, just, no, I have no control. God's going to do whatever he's going to do. It's neither one of those. Your choices are real, but they do not determine the outcome. God does that. God does that. Uh, Proverbs 16.33, right? The lot is cast into the lap. They're like dice. They used to use them back in the Old Testament to, to find God's will. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. So if you believe in just determinism, like, well, God's sovereign and it doesn't really matter what I do, you will be passive. You will be paralyzed. You won't really engage life. You won't do anything that brings real consequence. If you on the other side are just like, ah, I know God's up there somewhere, but like, I'm going to, it's my future friend and I'm going to do with it what I need to do and how I need to do it. And you know, God's just like the clockmaker. He spins it and then like, he just lets it go. You also might be passive, but many times you'll be paralyzed or panicked and just, just you'll, you'll be a perfectionist and you'll just be in overdrive all the time. Do, do you want to live in a world where you can make decisions that derail your entire future and your eternity? 
Do you want to be in a future where God's decisions matter? So this is freedom right here, right? So finding the freedom. If we're going to have this freedom to walk in wisdom, here's the freedom. Your choices do not determine the outcome. God does. And, hold on, there's more to it. Your choices don't determine the outcome. God does. But God uses your actions to move his purposes for you forward. God uses your real decisions and your actions to move his very real purpose for you forward. Remember Romans 8.28? And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good. The only way that you can believe this verse is if God is absolutely sovereign and you are free in that space that he gives you. So he uses your decisions in Christ. He uses your decisions to move forward his purposes for you. Now, you know this. Have you ever looked backwards and said, oh, that was God? We'll say things like, well, that was a God thing. Well, it's all a God thing. But you look backwards and you can see the hand of God moving. It's really hard to do it like in the future because that's not how faith works. But we can do that. Um, even how God pushed me into ministry. Yes, pushed me into ministry. It, I could really see. It was my decision. And I wanted to. And I'm so thankful. But I didn't. There was no really knowing it on the cusp of or on the threshold as I look backwards. You know, <laughs> Clarity comes after you make a commitment. I'm just going to tell you that. When it comes to making decisions, clarity comes as you make the commitment, you embrace the consequences, and then you see what God did. So this is freedom. Your choices don't determine the outcome. God's, God does that. But he uses your choices and your actions to bring forward his purposes for you. What's his purpose for you? Glory. <laughs> he loves you. He wants to transform you into the image of his son. That's glory. That's his purpose for you. Well, now I'm afraid because what if I make the wrong decision? You probably, you did. You, you did, you, you cannot train wreck his plans for you. You can do some bad things and you can frustrate him. That is freedom, my friends. There is no freedom like this. It feels like, wait a minute, you tricked me. No, I didn't. We're just telling you what scripture says. God is fully sovereign and you're free. Um, have you read Genesis where Joseph, you've heard, or maybe you saw maybe the play, Joseph. That's it right there. Joseph had a lot of brothers. Jacob was his dad. I'm going to make people mad when I say this. Jacob was not a good dad. Scripture says he loved Joseph more than his other brothers. That's sin. And Joseph was not a great kid. He's kind of a brat. I'm also going to make people mad when I say that, but it's true. God had gifted this man, this little kid, with an incredible gift and a purpose for his life. But he was running around telling on his brothers and holding it over their head. And they kind of got bitter and angry and threw him in a pit. Well, now it's over. No, he gets sold into slavery, into Egypt. It was unjust. It was wrong. What they did was horrible to Joseph. And Joseph's in the pit. He gets sold into Egypt he gets in prison. He gets wrongly accused of sexual abuse, all kinds of stuff. People lie to him and he is, his life is over. Yet it says, and God was with him. 
And then 13 years later, he's second in command in Egypt. All those circumstances and the decisions that Joseph made while basically just wasting his life in prison, unjustly. God worked through every single one of those. This is how come Joseph can say at the end of Genesis, when his brothers come back and they're afraid of Joseph, they're like, oh no, he's going to get us. And they're weeping. And Joseph says, hey, I'm not in the place of God. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And many people are saved because of it. That, that's freedom. And when you, when you embrace that, decision-making takes on a new paradigm. God gives you this freedom to walk in wisdom. Okay, so this is hard. I'm just going to tell you that, but it's true. So this is the kind of freedom that we have. Secondly, how do we do this? How do we apply the word of God? So first of all, if we're going to walk in wisdom, we need to apply God's word first and foremost. So that's, that's the first part of the checklist for those who want a checklist. If I'm making a big decision, um, does, how does it line up with God's word? Now, truth be told, most of the decisions you make you're not going to find in scripture, should I move to Santa Fe, New Mexico and start a heavy metal band? You're not going to find it. Maybe in Deuteronomy. You're not going to find it. It's not in there. God's not going to tell you that through some book in the Bible. So, let, But so many times God's principles and his law, his moral law, his will for you is very clear and God speaks through that. Um, let me read you Psalm 1. It's so good. Think about the relationship God has to you through his word. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So, we see this relationship with God's word when it comes to decision making is this. It sustains and establishes a true relationship with God. So it's less about, hey, what should I do, God? Should I, um, should I go into accounting or should I, um, you know, be an entrepreneur? God's like, okay, that's a question. But here's this. Sustain yourself through me. Enjoy me. Glorify me. Let me be the source that brings you life. Let me be the source that makes you prosper. Let me help you. You're going to be a tree planted by something to draw from it. Draw from me. I'm the source of life. Trust me. So his word is meant to establish this relationship. When we trust his word, when we walk in faith... It establishes an eternal relationship with the living God through faith in Christ. And this is what the psalmist is talking about. So scripture, um, your Bible, prayer, and the Holy Spirit set up a feedback loop that is very real when you're in relationship with God. He speaks to you through his word. You speak to him through prayer. And the Holy Spirit, you being indwelt, God taking up residence in your life, um, will illuminate the scripture, will guide you, will lead you, because he's the power and presence of the living God. He's gone. So um, apply the word. So first, this. Does the decision that you're going to make, does it conflict with the word of God? Now, Christians are out there like, of course not. Those places in scripture that are not very clear for you are probably really clear. I was going to tell you that. 
You remember when God told Moses, hey, I need you to go back into Egypt and talk to Pharaoh? That was really clear. Moses was like, well, yeah, but what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? You know, just going to throw that out there. So this is for all of us. Um, a lot of times we assume this, but it's actually not true. I know people are like, yeah, I don't really go to church. It's like, you know, do, you don't really need to go to church to, to flourish in, in the Lord. Like, okay, that's a decision you've made. But what about where Hebrews says, don't neglect to gather? Well, I, come on. Your decision is not in line with God's word. Check, check this number one. Or a friend of mine, guy, come, I think I'm going to marry this gal. Was she a believer? No. Well, Scripture is really clear on that. Like, there's no, it's really clear on that. Don't be unequally yoked. And I can just tell you as a pastor and being married for like a long time, if you don't have spiritual unity, it's the slow drift out. Um, don't do it. Well, man, she's a good gal and, you know, she's, um, she's coming around. I'm pretty sure she's going to be a Christian someday. Well, maybe. But, um, you have to realize you're just taking God's word and saying, yes, but not for that. Right? So if you are making a decision that conflicts with God's revealed will, um, that's going to be a problem. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So God speaks. Apply the word. Secondly, God moves. What about the supernatural? What about um, I'm trying to decide if I should move to Arizona, and then I'm driving down 495, and I see three Arizona license plates. Is that God's will for me? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I don't know what God's will for you is. in the, what, Arizona, though? Um, let's just all be honest and say this. Just get, just let this cat out of the bag, elephant in the room. Yes, God does use supernatural means to speak to us or to speak to people throughout history. That being said, it's very, very, very infrequent. And we want God to give us a hard and fast lightning bolt, knock me off my horse on the way to Damascus answer because it takes the consequences away from us. We want that. We're like, God, what am I supposed to do in this? Arizona, Arizona, baby, we're going to Arizona. Hey, me, he's completely sovereign. Maybe he is using that. But I'm going to tell you, I know people that have really good discernment and have a gift, maybe even a gift of prophecy. I've seen them get it wrong. You don't know. You just don't know. That's what God. So be very, very careful when you're using subjective means to define God's objective will for you. His word, yeah. So um, visions, yeah. God speaks to visions. He does a lot in India. I'll tell you that right now. A lot of Muslims come to Christ through a dream, uh, through a vision. What about open and closed doors? Um, uh, I'm really conflicted here. I have seen God open doors for me, and it was right dead spot on. And then I have decided God was opening a door for me because it's what I wanted. It's amazing how many times I've decided this was God's will for me on subjective means, and it just perfectly lined up with my will. Right? So be careful on that. So many times open doors, God will open. God does work through circumstances, but... Know this, um, many times the open doors are just convenient for us. Well, you know, I was, I literally knew a guy that said this. Um, he's like, I think, I don't know if it's God's will for me to have a donut. So I drove around the Dunkin' Donuts and there was a parking spot. And so I took it. It was an open door. 
I'm like, dude, you drove around four times until I pulled out. Like, <laughs> man, we do this. We trick ourselves. So open doors, close doors. Yes, God can work through that. Sometimes he closes a door and you're like, well, I can't do that anymore. Okay, move on. Um, but here I will tell you this. God will never open a door for you for you to disobey him. Ever. I've heard that before. Hey, man, I got to get out of this marriage. Can you help me? Well, yeah. What, what's going on? I mean, is there adultery? Is there, No, none of that. I just, we just, we just screwed up. We shouldn't be married. And you know what? She kind of feels the same way. So like, I feel like God's opening a door. God is not opening the door. God never opens a door for you to disobey him. Isn't that easy to define as God's will? He never does that. He's not going to do that. Um, yeah, so know that. He doesn't do that. So applying God's word, think through it this way. Does this decision honor God? Uh, what do you mean by that? First of all, does it honor him as Lord? Oh, you mean his, his word goes over my? Yes. Does it honor him as Lord? Does it honor him as Savior? Are you trying to find meaning through your decisions or are you taking your meaning and your significance from the fact that God loves you and has given you everything in Christ, right? Are you honoring him? Um, yeah. And just this, are you listening? Are you listening to what God is saying to you? Are you listening? Are you, yeah, so applying his word. Now, to do this well, we need to understand our heart. So for, if God gives you the freedom to walk in wisdom, you need to know more than just his word. You need to understand your heart. And here's why. <laughs> um, love changes the logic. Have you ever heard that before? I might have made it up. Maybe it's wrong. <laughs> but it really does. Love changes the logic. In other words, you will make decisions that are logical to you based on where your heart is that, have, that are just not right. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, Thomas Cranmer, he's in, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury in England in, in the 16th century, but he's very wise. And he said something that I just can never forget. He says, what the heart loves, have you heard this? The will chooses decision-making and the mind justifies. Right? What the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. Love changes the logic. So you will make decisions that are not in step with what's real and what God desires for your life based on where your heart is. Now, what is the heart um, in Scripture? It's not just the emotions, but it's part of it. It's the seat of the intellect, right? Or your, your, your mind, your rationality. It's the seat of, yes, your emotions and also your volitional will. Like, I'm going to choose that. So the heart is the entire motivational structure for your life. It's why you do what you do. Whatever has your heart drives your decisions, this is why it's really important to know for decision making. Um, have you ever, like, we do this with kids a lot. Hey, um, don't unplug the Xbox when daddy's playing. Okay. And the kid's tired of you playing Xbox all day. Listen. Heart drives the decision. We know this, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can even understand her own heart? 
So love changes the logic. Um, You've heard of this cheating scandal to get kids into schools in Hollywood? If you have money, your kid can go to Harvard or Yale. Why did they do it? Would you have done it? Did you do it? What's wrong with you? (laughs) They were terrified. They were terrified of failure. They were terrified of what their life might look like if they had to go to state. They were terrified of not living up to their parents' expectations. The parents are terrified of people looking in and not seeing the... Terrified. Fear. Fear. So, this is why God says all the time, fear me. Don't fear what people think. Fear me. When you fear God, every other fear gets squashed. When you trust him alone, everything else goes in the periphery. So check your fear, check your motives. Point number two in that checklist. So um, is it is it lining with God's word? And secondly, um, check your motives. Now, it's really hard. To, I'm just going to be honest. Don't overdo it because a lot of you people have a super active conscience or like very sensitive and like, I don't know, maybe I'm doing this. Maybe I have an idol of this. You know what you're talking about. Just calm down a little bit. Check your heart motives. Is it fear? Are you making a decision out of fear? Um, does this decision you're making actually reveal a trust in God? Does it? Does it require trust in God? Oh, well, I didn't think about that. Okay, check your motives. Um, Psalm 139 is a great psalm to pray. Um, verse 23, search me, O God, know my heart. This, this is how you pray for God's will. Search me, God, know my heart. Try me. In other words, test me and know my anxieties. What am I afraid of? See if there's any grievous way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. So understanding your heart, and a lot of times that leads to peace. So I've said this, so if I'm stepping on toes again, I'm sorry. Um, a lot of times we'll say, well, I don't have a peace with that. I don't think the Lord's given me a peace about that decision. Does that matter? Yeah, it does. But what do you mean by peace? If you mean that you have no emotional or psychological conflict because of what you know God wants you to do, be really careful. Be really careful. Um, hey, some of the some of the most important decisions I've made that I knew it was God's will for my life, all kinds of conflict. I couldn't have told you if it was the right thing for me to do or not. I, I don't think so. I've prayed, sought the Lord, I've looked at scripture, I've had people talk to me. I don't know. I'm going to do it though. You don't always get to peace. Don't wait for some emotional peace. Now, emotions matter. And God will, again, God will use your emotions to push you or to guide you. Um, but they are your emotions. They're not sacred. They can be wrong. They can be wrong. So instead of looking for peace, check your conscience. So what is a conscience? Um, your conscience holds or applies whatever law is holding your heart. So if you're a Christian, the love of God is on the, on the throne of your heart. So your conscience is like a window that lets the light in so you can, oh, that's what God would have me do. Right? So yes, your emotions matter, but check your conscience. Is this what God is calling me to do? The problem with your conscience is if you push God out enough and say, nope, I'm going to do it my way. Nope, I'm going to do it that way. The, the window gets dirty. And no more light comes in. 
And as Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.19, when you're not holding the faith with a clear conscience, you're going to shipwreck your faith. So it's more of a warning. So yes, feelings matter. Yes, emotions really do matter. And God will move those around many times. My emotions normally come in line after the decision. But check your conscience. Are you in submission to God's word? Um, listen to this. God gives you freedom to walk in wisdom. Listen to the wording of, of this proverb. We've read it, but did you hear it? Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Shouldn't it say commit your plans to the Lord and then your actions will go okay? It's backwards. Did you catch that? Commit your work or your actions to the Lord and he will begin to establish your plans. As you learn to trust God in this, as you learn to make these decisions, you and you're transforming into the image of his son, seeking glory, trusting in him, your plans will change. He'll start to establish it. When you are giving yourself to the Lord in full submission, without condition, without, yes, Lord, but, yes, Lord, everything but that, when we give him full submission, what happens is he starts to meld and change the way we think and about life and how we plan. And we start to walk in wisdom. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So understand your heart. Man, I'll tell you this. Um, Captain Marty McDermott was brilliant because he didn't do anything for me. He let me fly it. I made some hard landings. It was embarrassing. He let me be embarrassed. If I didn't study, I was more embarrassed. And within a week, I had confidence. When you're willing to make decisions and trust God, and not pull back into some false spirituality, waiting for God to lead you. Right? You're going to build confidence in the freedom that God's given you. You're going to be. You're going to start building confidence in the fact that God's actually guiding you, even if you have to look backwards and see it. Sometimes you're going to build confidence in Romans eight twenty eight. Hey, all these things are working together for my good, His glory. Sign me up now. You'll build confidence in that when you start to walk and make decisions based on how God wants you to live for His glory. For His glory. Um, are you Are you just impulsive? Are you paralyzed? Like, that's not God's will for your life. Hey, listen. Um, Jesus made a decision that he had no peace about. Never forget this. You remember what that decision was? I'm sorrowful even unto death. You ever said that? You know what his prayer was? God, give me the strength to go to the cross. Nope. His prayer was, Heavenly Father, if there's any other way, if you can take this cup from me, I don't want it. He had no peace about that. If he pulled the trigger on where he was emotionally, you would not be here with me. What did he say? Yet not my will, your will. That's where wisdom starts. Right? That's where the freedom starts. Repentance. Jesus wasn't repenting from sin. He was getting ready to take ours on. This is what you need to hear. This is what gives you freedom.
he walked into an unknown future, into straight into darkness. He didn't know what it's going to like to experience hell, to experience separation from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In that regard, humanly speaking, he took it on so that your sin, my sin, wiped away, reconciled completely, Spirit of God poured out, destination secure. Destination secure. Let that decision that God made own your heart, own your future, and lead you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Jesus, I just, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you chose to walk against what was best for you. Mm. Thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. And I pray that as we, as your people, learn what that means, that we belong to you fully through faith, that we would learn to walk in the freedom that you have for us and learn to hear your voice and learn to walk in your guidance and learn to apply wisdom and all these things. We need your help and we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.